And that leaves me with a dilemma because I have four messages. So we'll pass out sandwiches when this one's over and we'll spend the afternoon. <laughs> no, I'm going to uh, uh, do uh, the two other ones at, the, at our 6 o'clock evening time, class style. So uh, that way we'll get all four in. And uh, we're, going to be talk- we're going to be studying considerable things concerning the covenants. Uh, that's kind of fallen by the wayside in churches today. Um, there, there's really not, uh, or, or the, there's a danger of not having a real appreciation uh, for the covenants and, and the implications that, that those have for us uh, in the church today uh, because they are uh, kind of neglected. So, um, of course, there's a lot of other good stuff to, to teach, so uh, hopefully we... People do get around to them, but uh, anyway, we'll be talking about the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, and the Abrahamic Covenant. Uh, those are the three major ones. There are other ones. Uh, for instance, the Noahic Covenant has to do with the promise of uh, the rainbow and the promise that God would never destroy the earth again with a flood and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, we'll be doing the Old Covenant, New Covenant. Next week is the Abrahamic Covenant. Today is just the Old and the New. And... Um, now, a covenant, uh, who can tell me what, a, what that word covenant means? What's a covenant? Steve? A promise? Paul? An agreement? Yep, it's a promise. Uh, it's an agreement God, God makes, and it is a promise that he makes uh, by making that agreement. Um, and uh, those are fulfilled. He sees to it. And... Uh, so, uh, today's perception of the differences between the Old and New Covenants is, is sometimes weak. Uh, you may be well, well versed in it, and that's a good thing. But um, a lot of times it just, um, uh, uh, people just think in terms of um, uh, the animal sacrifices versus Christ's sacrifice, and uh, Israel versus the church, and so on, things like that. Uh, but the question is, is that it? Is that all there is? Well, we're going to take, it's going to take four messages, but uh, we're going to spend a lot of time um, taking a look at uh, a lot of detail. So um, the message this morning, the title of the message this morning is On the Outside Looking In. On the Outside Looking In. Um, Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And while you're looking there, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity to, uh, uh, to come together and to look into your word, Lord, uh, as uh, uh, a good many of our crew is, is away in Maven, serving you there. And Father, how we praise you for that. Father, as you know, we're going on a journey today. And, uh, Father, we just pray that you would guide our, our footsteps and uh, help everything to uh, fit together. And, uh, Lord, uh, we just uh, praise you for the covenants and the agreements, the promises that you've made. And um, uh, just pray that uh, this rather narrow but important um, view of, of, of those promises 
uh, will be beneficial to us today. Lord, we just commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are you John 7? All right. Verse 37 through 39. And it says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now I've run into people, even pastors, that insist that in the Old Covenant uh, there was a regeneration and the Holy Spirit indwelt those people just like us. We're going to see today that that's not true. And uh, it's important for us to know those differences. Um, oftentimes you'll, you'll hear Christians being critical of the children of Israel and all their failings, and, uh, but you have to come to understand they didn't have what we have. And that's one of the most important aspects of what we're going to be talking about today. So what are the implications that the Holy Spirit, as we see here in John chapter 7, was not yet given? And you'll notice it doesn't say not yet given because Jesus was not yet crucified. Not yet given because Jesus was not yet risen from the dead, but that Jesus was not yet glorified. And that's going to be important to keep in mind as we go along. All right, so prior to and even up to this time that we see in John's Gospel, there was no empowerment. No empowerment, not the empowerment we have with our indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There was no teacher indwelling, no comforter that we read about in John chapter 14. Now right there, that's a mighty uh, a deficit that they had to try to overcome. And what they wound up doing, of course, in trying to keep the law, was it was all mental assent. Now the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Covenant, but in a, in a communication capacity. God spoke to Moses by his Spirit. He spoke to Joshua. He spoke to the prophets. And uh, it was communicative. Um, but no, no empowerment like we have today. No regeneration. And uh, that's an important difference uh, for you to know about. So in Israel, it was mental ascent only. Uh, another thing, of course, was the animal sacrifice once offered remained dead. Our sacrifice lives. Um, uh, the, those sacrifices were a temporary covering. Ours is permanent. Now, when you get to Jesus' earthly ministry and the apostles, it was the same way with them as with Israel. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. And uh, so the apostles were on the outside looking in all the time. The children of Israel were on the outside looking in, just trying to see what God was all about, trying to, trying to realize uh, his, his majesty in their minds. Um, because in the Gospels, when I say the apostles did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit either, you're going to see that as we go along. The reason is because that's the Gospels, you're still in the Old Testament, still in the Old Covenant. And um, the New Covenant, uh, which uh, 
was inaugurated at Pentecost had not come yet. Uh, Jesus had not completed his work yet. Uh, in fact, you'll see Jesus, uh, and I sure, I'm sure you've noticed this if you, as, as you've read the Gospels, when uh, certain healings he did, he instructed the person that he healed to go to the temple and to have done for him what, by the priest what's prescribed by the law. So Jesus always upheld the covenant that was in force, and it was the old covenant all the way through the, the four Gospels. Okay, now what other effects does this lack of regeneration with Israel, with God's old covenant people, what other effects does this have? Well, I have to tell you, uh, 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 give you a word and, tell you, and explain it to you. Uh, it's the Shekinah glory of God that, uh, that, that we want to talk about here for a couple of minutes. Shekinah is a Hebrew word. It's not found in our Bibles, but you'll hear it all. You'll, if you have, how many of you have heard that word before? Yeah, most of you. You'll hear it, be, and, and that's why it's important for us to, to talk about it, because you're going to hear about it here and there. And uh, what that is is simply the unbridled glory of God being exposed. The unbridled glory of God, his Shekinah glory. And that's the word that they, that's often used, so we'll, we'll stay with that and use it. Now, what, concerning God's unbridled glory, man could not see nor touch the exposed holiness of God, lest he die. Could not see or touch. Man was a sinner, and God being holy and righteous, uh, that would mean death. Uh, therefore, his holiness had to be masked or cloaked in certain situations. Well, actually, all the time with regard to, to man. Ben's going to put up John 1.18 for us. which says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. No one has seen God at any time. So, I mentioned this masking or cloaking. How was this accomplished? In Exodus chapter 3, we have the account of Moses approaching or attempting to approach God at the burning bush to receive his charge to go to Pharaoh and, uh, and request that he let the children of Israel go. God masked his glory in that burning bush. He couldn't see him. And the burning factor, the fire factor of it, meant that that, that, that erased all possibility that Moses would try to approach and touch that hot fire. So he didn't see God, he didn't touch him. But God, in a communicative sense, of course, spoke to him from that burning bush. So we see that masking in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 13, after Pharaoh had let the children of Israel go, God led them by a, in a, by a cloud by day and a fire by night. He masked his holiness and his glory in that cloud and in that fire as he led them. Now, turn to Exodus chapter 19 with me. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 and verse 1 
says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Now skip to verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death, because that mountain, with God descending down on it, was energized with his glory, with his holiness. They would surely be put to death. Skip to verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Sounds sounding familiar, like a familiar pattern, isn't it? The Lord descended upon it in, fu- in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Verse 19, And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up, and the Lord said to Moses, Now, the Lord is communicating with Moses out of that cloud. He said to him, verse 21, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Now, interestingly, the God's Shekinah glory was also masked when Jesus was conducting his earthly ministry by his human flesh. And by the way, there's not, that's nothing new, because uh, in Genesis chapter 18, you may recall the story about the three men who came to Abraham and Sarah, and they were en route to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And those three men, as you read that passage, you might want to read Genesis 18 sometime, and it's unmistakable that, that that's the Trinity, the Holy Trinity in human flesh. And... His glory is masked so that Abraham and Sarah would not perish. Same way with Jesus' flesh when he was here on the earth. Okay, now, you don't need to turn there, but in in Leviticus 16, that's another chapter that you really should read. Uh, It's the the chapter concerning the Day of Atonement. Now, that happened once a year. Now, keep in mind that the, the children of Israel, if they sinned individually... They would go to the temple and walk through the first veil into the holy place and with the proper sacrifice, and the priest would take care of that. And uh, their sin would be covered until they sinned again, and then they'd have to take another sacrifice. And that, that happened as many times as they sinned during the year. But the Day of Atonement is once a year where the high priest goes not through the first veil, but also the second veil into the Holy of Holies, what we call the Holy of Holies, and makes atonement there for the, the entire nation. And um, you read Leviticus chapter 16 and see if you would like to have that process going on today. 
you'll be very interested, I think, to see that. And all the washings, the clothing that had to be worn, the sacrifices, there were several. He, he didn't go in just once, he went in several times. Um, and if anything was amiss, he died. If anything was wrong, he died. And it's reported that they would, before the high priest went in, they would tie a rope around his ankle. In case he died, they could haul him out of there and give him a proper burial. So um, uh, this was serious business. And if anything, went, if anything was not just right, just as prescribed as you read it in Le- Leviticus 16, uh, he would die. All right. Um, God descended in a cloud upon the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement. And the children of Israel, now as they traveled in the wilderness, they had the tabernacle, which tabernacle means tent. And they would set it up, and then when they'd move, they'd have to tear it down, and then the next place that they would encamp, they'd have to set it up again. And the children of Israel would encamp around the tabernacle. Now later on, when they settled in the land, of course, they built Solomon built the temple. So the temple was a permanent tabernacle. It, it preserved the same purpose. It was a permanent tabernacle. So uh, God, on the Day of Atonement, he descended in a cloud upon the tabernacle, again protecting the people from his glory, while the children of Israel stood outside. And the high priest, probably trembling, went about his business at one day out of the year. You'll see that on your calendar. It's Yom Kippur, and it's in the September-October time frame. Uh, You'll see it on your calendar. And finally, uh, we, could have, you, we could go on with examples forever, but First Chronicles chapter 13, you will read, you don't have to turn there, but you will read, and I'm sure some of you have, that the, the, the uh, Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant, which was energized, certainly the mercy seed, with the Shekinah glory of God. They had captured it. And evidently, they carried it the way they were supposed to because there's no report in Scripture of them dying. The the ark was completely overlaid in gold, and it had four gold rings, one on each corner. It was like a box. And the poles, that they, they carried it with poles that were also overlaid in gold, and they would slide the poles through those rings, one on one side, one on the other, and four men would, would place that and carry it. And that way they were protected. So... Anyway, the Philistines hauled it down to their territory. And if you want to read something hilarious, this is why I'm convinced God has a a tremendous sense of humor. I've got another one for you to read, and it's 1 Samuel chapter 5. When the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant to their, their place, they set it in the house of their god Dagon. And you need to read what happened to Dagon with the Ark of the Covenant sitting next to it. You've got to read this. So write that down. First Samuel chapter 5 is not very long, and you'll, you'll laugh. You'll enjoy it. All right? Now, after what happened to Dagon, Philistine, the Philistines said, take it back. We don't want it anymore. So they came to take it back. And en route and getting it back to its rightful place, they had it on an ox cart because it was a long way. So they didn't carry it by the poles. They had it on an ox cart. And they were doing all right, except they, the ox cart uh, ran into some ruts, and it began to jostle. And there was a man named Uzzah, some people pronounce it Uzzah, who was there helping. And he saw that jostle, and he was afraid the ark was going to fall off. So he put his hand out to steady it. 
Guess what happened to Uzzah? He died. He died. Quite an economy, huh? Quite an economy. All right, how and when is this ever going to change? How is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Will humans ever be able to come into contact with holy God and not die? Turn to Hebrews chapter 9 with me. Hebrews chapter 9. And starting with verse 1, Hebrews 9.1, Then indeed, even the first covenant, that's the old covenant, had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. Now, we're going to transport, we're going to be transported here from earthly to heavenly. And that's what happens going from the old, that's the, the, if there's a major thing that happens in going from the old covenant to the new covenant, it's going from the earthly to the heavenly. All right, so verse 1 again, this in, then indeed even the first covenant, the old covenant, had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. That's the holy place in the tabernacle, the sanctuary. Verse 2, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary or the holy place. And behind the second veil the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all or the holy of holies. This is where the high priest went in once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he's the only one that could ever go in there, and it was once a year. Verse 4, which had the gold, this holy of holies, had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, the law, that Moses obtained. Verse 5, And above it were the cherubim of glory, these angelic creatures, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Well, he's already spoken in quite a bit of detail, but he's not going to go on. He could. Verse 6, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, that's the holy place, that's through the first veil, performing the services, you know, for the occasional Israelite that that needed to bring a sacrifice because they had sinned, any day of the week. Verse 7, But into the second part, or the holy of holies, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Now we're getting into it, aren't we? The differences between the old and the new covenant did not do anything for their conscience, did not cleanse their thoughts, did not empower them. It was just covering. That's all it was. 
Verse 10, concerned only with foods. These things were concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. That time of reformation is the coming new covenant. That's Pentecost he's talking about. And those various washings, you'll read about that in Leviticus 16 when you read about the Day of Atonement, all the washings that, that had to take place. Okay, verse 11, now it gets good. Verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. Some of your Bibles may say that have come. And I like that. I like that better. Christ came as high priest of the good things that have come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. That's in the heavens. Now keep your hand right there and just flip back a page to Hebrews 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Verses 1 and 2. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. No question, right? We, we're in heaven now. Right? Amen? All right. All right, back to... Uh, Back to Hebrews 9 and verse 12. Verse 11 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, that have come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of creation. Verse 12, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. Not the, not the, uh, the most holy place, which, which is the holy, holy of holies. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, the holy of holies, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What we're looking at here is the final day of atonement. The final day of atonement. You know, when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished, there's a lot of things that were finished on the cross. There's a lot to that. He had celebrated uh, the, the, um, the Passover the night before he was betrayed with his disciples, and that was the last Passover. This is the last day of atonement. The last day of atonement. Now here is the question. It says, tells us here that he walked right into the Holy of Holies and placed his blood on the mercy seat to obtain eternal redemption for us. When did he do that? When did he do that? Well, let's see. It couldn't have been before he was crucified because he hadn't shed his blood yet. It couldn't have been while he, was, while he lay in, in Joseph's, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb for three days. And then he arose. So now we're getting into the possibility of this happening once he was resurrected. Turn with me now to John chapter 20. And let's go to the resurrection. 
He couldn't have walked into that Holy of Holies in the tabernacle on high before his crucifixion and before, or before his, and before his resurrection. But now it's Sunday morning. The sun is just beginning to rise. And they hurried to the tomb, many of them. This account only is about Mary. It's focused on Mary Magdalene. But there were several other women and some of the the apostles, the men as well. Picking it up in verse 11 of John chapter 20. When did this happen that he walked in there and placed his blood on the mercy seat? Verse 11, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Can you imagine Mary's grief? You know, he told the, the disciples many t- several times that he would be crucified and that he would raise, be raised, risen from the dead. They didn't believe him. They couldn't believe it. Now, they watched him heal people. They watched him call Lazarus forth from the tomb. But they had no faith that if he himself died, that he could raise himself from the dead. You know what? In John chapter 10, you know what Jesus says? I have power to lay my life down and power to take it up again. But they didn't believe. So Mary, they're in grief because they've lost their Savior. They've lost the one that they they traveled with, the one that meant everything to them. So, verse 13, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Remember, it's now he looks the same. He's recognizable to them. He looks the same as he did when he was in his fleshly body. He's now in his glorified body. But he looks the same, but it's still dark. The sun is just peeking above the horizon. And it's hard to see. So... Um, Verse 15, he asks her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She wanted to give him a proper burial. He's in a borrowed tomb. She, the, the body needs to be wrapped, as was their, was their custom, wrapped properly. And uh, she just simply wanted to give him a, a, a proper burial. So tell me where you've taken him, and I'll take him away. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Then in verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, do not touch me your Bible may say, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. If she touched him, she would die. He didn't want that to happen to her because he had not yet placed his blood on the mercy seat in the tabernacle on high. He was about to, but he's not yet done it, and he was protecting Mary. 
do not touch me. Now, if you have a New American Standard, talk to me later about, about that do not touch verse. I got some things to explain to you there. Um, now, so verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not. Now, let's absorb this entire verse very carefully. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. He tells her not to touch him, and he tells her why. I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Now, um, this is not the ascension of Acts chapter 1. That's still about 47 days, about a month and a half, hence. And this is the present tense, in the present tense, in the original language. He says, I am ascending to my Father. I am ascending. He's about to do it. This is, an, this is a private ascension. The one in Acts chapter 1 is, um, is public. Now, keep your hand there, right at that verse 17, and flip back to Matthew chapter 28. These, this account... You know how it works with the Gospels. There's different things and and different renderings and different Gospels. They don't conflict with each other. It's just that it's piecemeal. Matthew 28, keeping your hand in John chapter 20. Matthew 28, verses 8 through 10, and then we're coming right back to John 20. All right? So he gave her instructions. In John 20:17, says, I have not yet, don't touch me, I have not yet ascended to my Father. That's the reason, you can't touch me. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending. So they've got to go to the brethren now and give the message. Right? Mary's got to go. So in Matthew 28:8, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Obviously great joy. They've seen Jesus alive. He is risen. They, with great joy, and ran to bring his disciples the word. Verse 9, as, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. What else didn't he tell them? He said, Don't touch me. He did not tell them, Don't touch me. He's been... The blood is now on the mercy seat, and now he's returned. Flip back to John chapter 20. Verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Did you catch that? The door was shut. He walked right through it. Walked right through it. So he came in and he said, Peace be with you. Verse 20, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples, and they, hadn't, they were there all completely bummed because they, they just didn't believe that he, they would ever see him alive. So verse 22, when he had said this, or, or wait a minute, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I guess so. 
Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now that now holy God can indwell sinful man, regenerate that man or woman, and, and you and I do not die. You want to know something? You know, we had that thunderstorm Thursday night. Did you all hear that? All the lightning? I think it was Thursday night. Friday? Yeah. Um, And, you know, occasionally when we get those, you have power outages, right? Sometimes, if we're fortunate, the lights will just flicker and come right back on, and, and that's it, and you're okay. Listen, if the coverage of Jesus' blood on our behalf even flickered out just for a a nanosecond, we would all die. That coverage would not be there. But, of course, that's not going to happen. It's an eternal, eternal covering for us and an empowerment because now we we are regenerated. So he breathed on them and, and and, and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Skip down to verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Verse 26 now. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, again, he's going to walk right through, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now, we have no record that Thomas actually touched him, but what's important here is the Lord invited him to, to touch him. Because now he would not be in peril. The blood is on the mercy seat in the tabernacle on high. And verse 28, And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. So let's recap here a little bit about God's Shekinah glory. It was masked or cloaked by the burning bush when Moses was there. It was masked as God led them in a cloud by day and fire by night and also by a cloud at Mount Sinai as well as the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement. And finally, by Jesus' human flesh. Why? Why was it masked this way? There's one answer. Because Jesus' blood was not yet on the mercy seat in the tabernacle on high. That's the reason. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. No more on the outside looking in. The apostles walked with him as he conducted his earthly ministry. They're on the outside looking in. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you read about Peter in the Gospels, and then read about Peter starting at Pentecost in the book of Acts, and then beyond, going as you go further into the book of Acts, he's a different man. Different man. And, and read the epistles of First and Second Peter. Different guy. What a change. What a difference. And as you examine Peter before and after he received the Holy Spirit, you'll get a real picture of the difference between Old and New Covenant. Perfect picture. Okay, and the lack of empowerment versus the empowerment we have now. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. 
For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, just a shadow, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they they offered continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. He's talking about the Day of Atonement. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Skip to verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us Verse 15, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, quoting Jeremiah 31, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sin and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. It's done. It is finished. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, here we go now. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you go right into the Holy of Holies. That's where we are right now. We're there. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, That is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What a covenant we live in. What a time. You know, we talk about uh, uh, how, how it would be to go back and watch and, and, and see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, uh, to see his many works, even go back into the Old Covenant to, you know, check, uh, to, to meet and, and see what was going on with Daniel and his three friends. But you know what? There's a detriment there if we were actually able to get on our time machine and do that because we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit. We'd be on the outside looking in, but no more. 